Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 67. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1951 movie Strangers on a Train. So, Charles, tell us about it. A famous tennis player gets recognized by a stranger on a train. And the stranger knows a little too much about this tennis player and like talks about how he knows about the tennis player's impending divorce and his affair with a senator's daughter. So he gives the offer because the guy, the stranger, hates his father. He gives the offer that they trade murders. So he'll murder the guy's wife, the tennis player's wife, and the tennis player will murder the guy's father. And since they don't know each other, then it's hard to peg the murder on each other, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so the tennis player is like, haha, that's ridiculous, and leaves. But then he finds that his wife has been murdered. And then this stranger goes and follows him and tries to force him to actually go through with the murder of his father. But the tennis player refuses. And there's a lot of back and forth there. The tennis player tries to keep it a secret. And in the end, the stranger is going to frame the tennis player for the murder of his wife by dropping a lighter that the tennis player had given him or left and Mm -hmm. that he kept uh, at the scene of the murder. And so there's like a big chase to get there and stop him from dropping the evidence. And there's a big fight. Um, But then uh, it is revealed in front of the law enforcement that the stranger was, in fact, the guy who did the murder and the tennis player is redeemed. Uh, So this was a mutual selection. Uh, It was screening at a local theater here in Brooklyn. Syndicated. Syndicated. So we, this was, Grossman and I both decided that this would be a good pick, so we saw it all together for a change. It was also $4 per ticket. $4, yeah, it was a bargain. Yeah. And like a pretty reasonable theater for four bucks, like comfy it's, seats. It's a pretty nice theater. Yeah. It was nice, yeah. yeah. They serve food at the at the mm-hmm. seat there, like at a, like at Alamo. They also kind of pitch themselves as a bar more than a theater. Well, know? the bar was huge. Yeah. It was like as big as the theater itself. Yeah. <laughs> or bigger. Yeah. Um, and had fr- several large screens in it for TV. But the theater was nice. Uh, it was four bucks, and they were showing *Strangers on a Train*. Um, so we we all saw it at, at the same time. Um, so you came. I didn't realize this was happening until you you brought us to us, Crossman. So what what uh, drew your attention to *Strangers on a Train*? Uh, my dad had been asking me to do this for a oh, while. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So hi, Crossman's dad. Hitchcock <laughs> film, apparently. Really? So he'll be excited. Interesting. That we've done this, uh, but it's it's one of many Hitchcock classics um i hadn't seen it in a minute and yeah. it was it was good to rewatch it it and was i feel like i picked up on a lot of stuff i hadn't picked up in prior watches um agreed yeah yeah <laughs> uh, the major thing that struck me was the uh the coding of the main one of the main characters bruno is gay is gay yes yeah yes and Definitely. uh that that did not strike me in previous watches yeah like the, mm-hmm. that opening sequence like the, the first conversation that they have with one another like it seems like a pickup right like it, <laughs> it reads as him like coming on to the guy character um and it was kind of unavoidable yeah there's a lot of like 1950s coding yeah. here so he's a he's like a mama's boy and mm-hmm. he dresses like very extravagantly he's single he's yeah he's single <laughs> uh and he has a uh, like a funny affectation mm-hmm. about him. Yeah. Um, and and notwithstanding, like, this is a very good performance by this it's actor. It's, it's it's yeah, an incredible character. Yeah, oh, yeah. same as Robert Walker. He tragically died shortly after this performance, oh. which is why you don't see much more from him. But you have yeah. to think. Because he was, I think he was like 31 years old when he did this. Yeah, and he died, uh, he died at 32. Of, yeah. And um, so I'm about to be older than him, which feels weird. Um, but he... <laughs> Yeah, he died. I was reading on Wikipedia. He died of a mix of alcohol and barbiturates. Yeah, yeah. So a tough way to go. Yeah, um, which is a common death. Yeah, especially <laughs> uh, in, in Hollywood, the unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Isn't that what Mar- Marilyn Monroe died of? Maybe. Maybe. One of many <laughs> maybe. Things. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's tough to say with her, uh, but yeah, you have to think that if this guy had had lived, he would have had a a many more strong performances ahead of him because he was marvelous here. He was. This is the best part of the movie. What did you think of his acting, Charles? Yeah. Not something um, you usually comment on, but... Yeah, um, his performance really stood out to me. Um, it, I don't know how to comment on it. I, I just noticed it a lot, I guess. Well, the main character guy, 
he's he's kind of wooden and like a, I, I strongly like a... dislike the main character's performance. <laughs> right? So it was like yeah. a big contrast. I did want to note that as well. The um, main character the... is not sympathetic or compelling the main character whatsoever something about his look and his style of acting really reminded me of hayden christensen um, (laughs) and his how dare you (laughs) (laughs) just something about his delivery just really reminded me of that and that threw me off the entire time yeah there's a stiffness to it and and he does not you're right he does not evoke sympathy and and neither in the character nor in the performance right like the the character himself is kind of like a blah guy who's trying to get out of his marriage for right. Well, he's a, he's a flanderer. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's boring. Yeah, he's a shameless climber. Right, yeah. like all he wants to do is like enter this political career, and that's like why he's cheating on his wife. Yeah, right. So there's like not that much to him. He's kind of well, no, the in the story, the wife cheated on him. Well, sure. Yeah, but, but he is yeah, also but. cheating on his wife. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, he's. Again, yeah, just not the most compelling guy in the world. Um, so I, it's an interesting move on Hitchcock's part because apparently he didn't want this guy for the role. He, huh. he had appeared in an earlier Hitchcock movie called Rope, um, and they did not get along great on that set. And the studio kind of foisted this actor uh, upon Hitchcock. And I wonder how much of Guy's unsympathetic portrayal is a product of Hitchcock's own animosity towards the actor. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, you couldn't have like a Jimmy Stewart in this role, though, because he would. You'd like him too much. You need a young person for this role, too, because he's a tennis star. Yeah, there's that. The story. Yeah. Yeah. Although Jimmy Stewart wouldn't have been that old. Right. Uh, Jimmy Stewart was on the old side when he was in World War II. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that would have been Hmm. several years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid to look this up because it often screws up our recordings. (laughs) But we'll hold off. uh, But he certainly is older. Um, than the character. I just don't see him as like an athletic person either. Also, like that. Jimmy Stewart being like the go-to for Hitchcock, or one of like a few go-to actors. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he would substantially change the part. Like you imagine. A, well, like, he'd be compelling. He, yeah. Well, he'd be more sympathetic, right? Like he yeah. has this. This we've talked about it before. This everyman quality to him, right? Yeah. Like that he's approachable. He's open. And I think that you have a better reaction to like stuff happening to him. Right, right. More, more plausible. Yeah. Where guys like kind of just a pretty face, mm-hmm. um, but he, he's kind of a he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's dumb. He's real dumb. He's very dumb. Yeah. Yeah, and like easily manipulated. Yeah, I mean, the, the women do all the work in this movie. Right. For and sure. It, like the the big gaping plot hole that you kind of have to ignore is that he obviously should have just gone to the police like as soon as this guy confessed. To killing his wife, right? Like his story about how, oh no, they'll think it's you, is this nonsense. Yeah, but he's dumb. He got convinced immediately. Right. He's super dumb. And you kind of, in order to like take this movie yet on its own terms at all, you just kind of kind of have to accept that. Yeah. yeah. But um, well, that's a sports jock, right? Right. And and a politician, aspiring. He, he's <laughs> but he's like a semi-pro tennis player. But I guess this is the era where there is no professional athlete. You're like. You're always a semi-pro, essentially. I guess. Maybe except for baseball. Yes. Because this was made in 1950. 51. 51, yes. This would have been before the NFL was formed. Yeah. Um, The NBA was also in its infancy. Um, MLB would have been old at this point. Yeah. Um, Yes. And that would be really the only way. Yeah. And I think the sort of college sports mentality is still there, where you're just like in perpetuity, just an Mm -hmm. amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he's playing, like, at a country club in Forest Hills. And he has a day yeah. job. Like, and he has yeah. A day job. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that guy. And I think you, you could imagine a few other actors in that role changing it a lot. Like, you imagine, like, Cary Grant, who's worked with, who worked with uh, Hitchcock, or will work with Hitchcock in the future. In North by Northwest. In North right? by Northwest, yeah. right. Drastically changing the, the role here, making him more sympathetic, making him funnier. Yeah. Uh, for one thing. Um, so it, it seems like an interesting call to make the victim, who's essentially the victim in the narrative, the least sympathetic character in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we end up kind of on, on the Robert Walker Bruno's side, in a sense. They're like, we yeah. want to see more of or him. Or his, like, his girlfriend's side. Yeah. Um, guy's girlfriend. Although who, it was also not very interesting. The most interesting woman in the story is definitely Barbara. The sister. Mm-hmm. The sister, yeah. yeah. She's she fantastic. Who suddenly sure. kind of... No, that's not true. But she... what a, Like, what a great character. Yeah. Like, so... <laughs> funny. So funny. funny on screen. Yeah. And... He's, he's really good with those, like, 
kind of nerdy glasses wearing ladies. Yeah, well, she recalls Jimmy Stewart's girlfriend in yeah in Vertigo. It's a similar personality type. Yeah, similar look, right? She has, yeah. like you said, the glasses and the the shorter haircut and and things like that. Um, it's also Hitchcock's daughter playing oh, yeah. that role. Yes, nice. <laughs> which is amusing. Um, but yeah, she she was she was a standout for me. She's kind of bratty, which like makes her character like, right. She's bratty, and yeah. she's like way smarter than everybody else there. Yeah, right? like that kind of teacher's pet. Right thing going on. Right, like she wants to. She wants them to know how smart she is. She's, she's that that person in your class that's like. You haven't collected the homework yet. <laughs> right, exactly. At the end of the class. She's, she also, she's the Hermione. She also yeah. is the one character that shows like the greatest range of emotion. Yeah. Whereas yeah. compared to like Guy's woodenness, uh, she, um, when Bruno's, yeah, in in the scene, Bruno has convinced a party goer to let him like fake strangle this no, woman wild scene yeah one of the like <laughs> yeah. probably the best scene in the movie yeah i love that shot yeah. when he's he looks into barbara's eyes and yeah like, yeah gets the flashback and you see the reflection of the lighter in her glasses that's mm-hmm. an amazing shot yeah it, it really is yeah uh was it, that, was it at that part or was it at the country club that no it was that part um and there but it recalled that the actual murder scene where the victim's glasses fall off and you see in the reflection of the glasses yeah uh, her there's getting, so many great shots yeah movie. it's a beautifully shot film and it's still th- thematically resonant right because it's not just glasses they're cracked glasses too and it's like so this image of like doubling and the and the circular themes that show up in this movie all the time are literally reflected in those lenses um but yeah the strangling scene the second strangling scene <laughs> at the party is a standout moment. It's in this so intense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the the poor rich lady that you know is like nearly has her eyes bulging out. Of also her head. a great character. Yeah. Because she uh, <laughs> she is very jocular about like killing her own husband with Bruno. Like she yeah. so Bruno kind of starts <laughs> talking to her about murder, and mm-hmm. she like goes along with it. She it just picks her right She's up. She's just always yeah. laughing about it too. Right. It's yeah. Weird. Right. It's just weird. And, and then volunteers for Bruno to like fake kill her, which then turns into like an almost real killing right. at the party. And, and he's yeah. like crashing this party. Like he's just like some dude that showed up for the most part. What a creep. Yeah. yeah. Which is even weirder. Um, um so yeah, that that scene stood out for me, and it, and for exactly the reason you pointed out. Um, yeah, I really really like that scene, and um, the, the 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 women in this film, Barbara and the new girlfriend, Anne, Anne, I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, they they both seem to kind of figure it out on their own. That, yes, like, that's true. They at least know that like something really bad is going on. Yeah. So yeah. They seem smarter than Guy. <laughs> Which is a pretty low bar to clear. Yeah, yeah. But they, they do get yeah. there. <laughs> Guy does, like, a pretty poor job of, like, pushing Bruno off. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, and, again, the clear thing to do is go to the cops, who are following him around the whole movie. It would be so easy to just say, actually, it's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he never does. Yeah. And he does things that are in- increasingly put himself in danger, <laughs> in, like, extreme danger. Yeah. 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 So, I, I mean, one of the readings of this movie is that it is, on top of the, the obvious re- reading about it being about doubles and the circular motions and things like that, the, the imagery that shows up over and over again is that it's also about guilt and that Bruno literally following Guy around the entire movie is Guy's guilt in terms of his infidelity, in terms of his actual desire to have his wife killed, which he's suppressing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That That is... The Bruno represents this guilt personified, right? Following him around, so that the reason that he can't go to the police, or the reason that he can't admit to Anne or Barbara or whoever that this is what's going on, is because to admit that would be to, in a way, confess to his his own his, yeah. his own bad acts. Um, and I think that's a pretty compelling reading. It's almost like a Fight Club. It'd be like yeah. it'd be hacky <laughs> if it'd be hacky if Bruno didn't exist yes, and it was. was just in like Guy's mind. It, well, a, in the fifties, it wouldn't have been maybe, right. but it'd be literally impossible because Guy's so wooden and Bruno's like yeah. such a great character, right? Like, but, I yeah. mean, same thing with Tyler Durden and the, the narrator. Yeah, right? but Edward Norton's like so compelling. <laughs> that's true. In in the narrator's yeah. Role. yeah 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 but I, I think that I mean and you see it like from the opening shot of the movie right because. Like that that intro sequence before they actually get on the train, you see 
the both of them getting out of the same cab, not the same cab, but the same uh, cab kind company cab, cab yeah. right? You just they're, see their shoes. You just see their shoes. Yeah, just Which focus on great. their shoes. They're they're being followed by somebody else. So it's a pair of them as they the two of them approach the train. You see, I thought this was going to be like a spy movie when I saw it. The looks intro. like I knew nothing about this movie except that there was probably going to be a train involved. And what, what do you know? Right away, there's yeah, a train. But, but only barely. Yeah, um, there are elements of spy movies here. Yeah, certainly. And and the other thing that you see in that intro sequence is train tracks, right? That we have the camera pointed down at the tracks as the, mm -hmm. the train is moving and paths cross and intertwine mm -hmm. and uncross and run parallel to each other. You see this this doubling over and over again that from the opening shot uh, and this being followed right again from the opening shot and I think that that's very conscious and intentional on, on Hitchcock's part. Yeah, one one of the theories that I was reading on this film was not not all not only is uh, Bruno coded as gay. Movies at the time, because it's the fifties, it's also the height of like communist hysteria. Oh, and there's okay. a lot of crossover with. Um, communists also being coded as gay in sure. films. This is like a common trope mm -hmm. of like James Bond bad guys and like a, a bunch of other yeah pick your films. action villain yeah pick pick your action villain. And what was interesting in the in the article did a good job of explaining this is that the fear of communism and the fear of gay men is very similar in that they both can like pass yeah so you don't you don't know if someone's a communist and it's it's similar with like passing for being hetero okay and mm -hmm. so that was an interesting like overlap and so films at the time are, are like really obsessed with this of like the portrayal of gay men as commies as commies yeah right. well and because and, and also... you can't say gay because of the yeah the code, the, the code. The, the, yeah the code yeah uh, and well and it also feeds back into the idea of, of the leftist as a sexual deviant Right. Yes. Right. Because the commie is leftist, the commie is gay, and secretly, and you, and similarly, you can be any kind of leftist, yeah. and nobody can know. So yeah. you're saying like there's elements of a spy movie. I think mm -hmm. it's true here that there yeah. there's a lot of like overlap in in the coding of of characters like yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, you see it in that that same opening sequence. Um, yeah. You see rotations occur, occur again. Um, you, there's like a record player at one point going around and around, and then obviously on the conclusion of the film. They're on a carousel, right? Mm -hmm. Which again occurs twice, right? There's a carousel before the murder, and there's a carousel again at the end of the film in the climactic moment. So you have both the the cyclical theme of things repeating, you know, the guilt coming back to you, uh, and uh, appearing alongside the the dual theme, the doubling theme um, that you see visually throughout the film in that carousel. It, it does both at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this this Hitchcock guy, he, he knows what <laughs> he he's knows doing. He's good. Yeah, he's yeah, good. This at guy's got potential. Shooting thrillers too. Yeah, that's, like you're right. It does feel like a spy movie for yeah. a lot of elements of, of the film. Yeah. Well, they're all keeping secrets and they have plans and there's you know they're racing against the clock at some dodging point. Dodging the cops. Right. Exactly. C certainly a lot of those those same kind of elements. Um, so this is our third Hitchcock movie. Right, we did Rear Window, Vertigo on this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How does how does uh, Strangers stack up to the other two that we saw? I think I actually enjoyed it more than Vertigo. Okay. Um, and less than Rear Window. Interesting. I think it's. I think that's my hierarchy right now. So it's fitting in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, this to me feels like tier like one point five Hitchcock, right? Like the the greats I think are that people think of as the greats are like Vertigo, Rear Window, Psycho. And like that, those are probably his most well-regarded films. North by Northwest is up there. North by Northwest is up there. But and this one, I think, because a it's a it's a less serious movie in a lot of ways. Like there's jokes in it, and like the premise is goofy yeah. and stuff like that. I think that it is un unfairly discounted because of that. Um, but it's interesting that you prefer this to Vertigo. Yeah, um, I enjoyed this one because it seemed the most thrillery out of the three that I've seen. Um, which is kind of what I expected to get based on the reputation, I guess. Um, which made it really fun to watch. and It combines with the humor elements of it, too, just to be a fun watch. Um, Rear Window had some other elements to it that I enjoyed quite a bit. I think the, like, the visual elements of like that's hard to uh, watch in the back alley and the characterization of each of the rooms and so stylized like yeah, yeah he, he does so much with such a small space in that movie yeah, um, yeah but i put these over vertigo because i mean i know vertigo is like widely regarded so highly <laughs> but like 
for some reason, I didn't feel like the intensity in that movie. It didn't feel as much like a thriller, so it didn't really grab me in that way. I think, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a uh, thriller that occurs like psychically, right, mm-hmm. rather than in terms of events. Yeah, it's just it was, you know, maybe a bit slower, um, and like the ending of that one felt a little comical in a way that I didn't like. So, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, yeah, I think you may be alone in that. I didn't laugh at the end of, at the end of Vertigo. Things don't always it age, was like a, though. It was like a cartoon. Yeah, okay. Like, oh, you know, there's a nun that represents her guilt so oh, she man. falls out when of that, the window. When that nun shows up at the end, at the top of the bell tower, like, I jump every time. Like, it yeah. works so well for me. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, but for me, like, this movie, I think, actually is a little bit goofier. Like that that carousel bit at the end where they have like the old man crawling underneath the, the right. carousel. Like, it it feels like the goofiness is more consistent in this movie. I agree. So it makes more sense. Whereas in Vertigo, there basically wasn't any, and then the ending just felt really on the nose yeah. and silly to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. Stood out yeah, I'm not me. pointing out the this goofy elements of this film as a as a criticism. I think that yeah. he's is doing it intentionally and it works. I like yeah. the goofy elements here. I think all the yeah. secondary characters are awesome. Yeah. We uh, haven't talked Bruno's about mother is great. Bruno's mother and yeah. the senator is like this. Yeah. <laughs> he like is constantly in like a smoking jacket or something and like ready to go to bed. Um that guy's oh, great. Yeah. Um I also love the line like speaking of the closing scene when like one of the cops or like the carnies or something is talking about like, oh, somebody needs to turn off that carousel and the, the old man's like, oh, I'll do it. And he starts crawling under there and uh, the other guy says, are you going to help him? And the guy's like, oh, it looks like he's got it. It's <laughs> like, he's all right. Like, I'll leave it up to this like crafty yeah. old man to, to crawl around <laughs> on the ground underneath this speeding carousel. <laughs> and speaking of what like that carousel itself makes no sense, like why can it do that? Like, yeah. Why is it able to go that fast? And well, why is it, it breaks? Yeah. Yes, it does break. It does fall apart. Um, and I thought that was amusing as well. Again, they had that setting on the throttle, right? Like <laughs> dangerously fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and so I, I mean, that shit doesn't matter. Like that's not important to the film, but it did. No. It did make me laugh. I thought that was good. I like that setting. The, like the fifties carnival. Oh, it's great. Setting is like very compelling. Yes, but, I agree. Um, There's all sorts of weird stuff that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and well, and you get the the best part is when you spend the most time there at the beginning of the movie, and you have the Bruno character like stalking the wife. Yeah, through the carnival, but she's like into it, and then like kind of flirting with her. Yeah, 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 and like that was cool. That character is not treated well by the film. The wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although I wanted to see more of her. Right, like yeah. I want, oh, yeah, totally. I want to see more about like this fifties party girl that's like hanging out with two dudes at the same time while flirting <laughs> with this guy that she just. She's met. also like blackmailing her husband. Right, yeah, know. like I want, I want. She needs her own movie. She like needs to be a villain. Yeah, yeah, movie. yeah. She, she's a, a very violent end. It, indeed, uh, right. Well, yeah. and it, it, again, it's foreshadowed so well because you before that they get on the tunnel of love ride, which is apparently just like in a lake. And yeah. the, that was one of the things I liked about it because <laughs> it, it does feel like a very cheap, like right. fair, very fly like, by night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like they they probably just like set this up yesterday. We, and, are going and to all the more reason, like an industrial accident happening, <laughs> right, is like, like plausible, plausible, yeah. right. And and I love that like the guy is following them, like Bruno is following them on this tunnel of love ride, like yeah. you know, for lovers. She gets there with in there with her menage a trois, like <laughs> two dudes at the same time. And he gets in there by himself. Like yep. he's going on the, the romance ride alone. Yeah. He's just gonna uh, stare at her. Right. right. And he's so just he's gonna stare at her. And then it, it calls to mind like this almost river sticks type of energy uh, imagery where they're like going into the underworld and he is exiting to, to perform the most evil act that a person can perform. Um, and like that works really well. Uh, so really, just that whole sequence is is brilliant. Uh, yeah, apparently there's like a a makeout island at this carnival. Yeah. Yes, like, yeah, that's the destination. You go like, to the island. And they the, secretly park their boat there. Yeah, but they don't even they like just maroon it like like there's not a dock or anything. They just right because like, they're not supposed to go there. They just they just park there anyway. <coughs> right, that's and, what, and that's what people do to make out and and murder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that whole sequence I think. Yeah, was, she's was one of the few women that are killed on screen by a right. Hitchcock film. Oh, yeah, that's it. This is not the most horrific, but it's not great. <laughs> yeah, he he goes to that well many times. Um, yeah. The the phrase that we would use now is that he puts a lot of women in the refrigerator. 
right? And <laughs> is that a phrase? Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so the, yeah. like it, it's more drama? specific. Yes, yes. It's more specific than just killing women on screen, but it yeah. refers to the male hero, usually towards the beginning of the story, encountering his girlfriend, his wife, his mother, his sister, his female friend, whatever, um, killed and butchered in the refrigerator, right? So, he, and that is his motivation to go after the bad guy, and her only role is to be killed and mutilated. Um, and so the trope is to refrigerate women, to put women in the refrigerator. Gotcha. And that is adjacent to... This is like a CSI term. Yeah, I mean, like, pick your crime drama, yeah. pick your action Because it makes movie. the crime so much more heinous because women are so vulnerable, Yeah, right? exactly. Yes, that's what it is. And the only the most important thing that any woman has is her relationship to the man and the story, um, and that just calls all that... It, to mind yeah. immediately. Yeah, they they say ahead of time. I forget the term they use for it, but she's like a she's like a philander, or she's flirty essentially. Yes. Is yes. how the movie <laughs> she's a, she's a party it. girl. And yeah. so her like her moral standing is like dropped a bit in in the movie. Right. Yeah. So like killing her becomes less heinous. I guess it seems to be what the movie was like. Saying. Right, and yeah. especially because it like, or it's like maybe not that it's less heinous, but that like. It's unsurprising that it happened because of her like, of her moral yeah, standing. Yeah, like if it wasn't gonna if it wasn't gonna be this guy, yeah, some other hotel. She wasn't such have, a flirt. Like right, this wouldn't this, have happened. This wouldn't have happened to her. Yeah. It's punishment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think that's part. Of, and and then like it gets uh, it, it it's easier for us to maybe not identify with, but be amused by Bruno throughout the film, right? Like if we see if the first thing we see from him is him murdering like a nice girl, it's tougher for us to you know have that, oh, maybe we're kind of on his side kind of reaction to the character. Mm -hmm. um, and we really? do. I mean, from the first moment I meet him, I'm a little, like, off-put by him because he's got that very salesman-like yes. presence. He's pitching. Right, and that always, like, immediately puts me on the defensive. I immediately feel, like, a little yeah. Maybe Yeah, maybe on his side isn't the right... Not It's not the term I'm looking for, but we're fascinated by him. He's not totally right? unlikable. Like, he's not a... Right. He's he, not like the monster in it or something. Yeah, he right? has a he has a charm to him, and it's yeah. like a creepy charm, and it's a somewhat off putting charm. But yeah. you kind of get where the lady at the party is coming from, right? Yeah. It's like maybe I want to know more about this, you know, wacky party guest. <laughs> I, I didn't feel that. I just I just saw the creepiness, and that's all I saw. Just like that putting on charm to try to like lure you in, kind of kind of right. And that is and that certainly creeps me out immediately. Yeah, that's certainly the dominant tone from the character. But right. I think that there's other stuff. And he, he's doing that stuff where he's like, you know, making sure that the tennis player doesn't have excuses not to have lunch with him or whatever. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, yeah, yeah. What an get asshole. me out of here. <laughs> well, the other great tennis moment with Bruno is when they enter the club and everybody's watching the tennis match and doing the head back and oh, forth thing. Awesome. Except him. <laughs> so greatly. Like, what a great shot. That's amazing. Yeah, that. I mean, it's a famous shot, in the, probably the most famous shot in the film. And it's so good. It's so good, and it works so well. Um, and the other one is when he's standing on the, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, I think, and, or the or Jefferson. Jefferson. I think it was Jefferson, Jefferson Memorial. It was Jefferson, and yeah. like you see him like from across the like from a block away or something. Just he's like really standing, tiny, and standing but he's stock what I still. What's funny was yeah. it might not even have been him. It might have just been some random dude and guy right. is just super paranoid. Right, which, but it's probably him. But it's probably him, and again, calls to mind uh, guy's guilt. Right, mm -hmm. is that like maybe that's what he's feeling, and maybe this is his fault, but maybe not. And we he's can't got be sure. this like ghostly presence. He had one of those parts where he just like suddenly, <clears throat> like shows up right next to yes. the guy. I think yes, yeah. This is, yeah, it reminds a lot of it. It follows. Oh yeah, good call. It follows like uses a lot of these. Yeah, you see tropes, the bad guy over there. You haven't seen it follows, right, Charles? I have not. Okay, the main characters are being stalked throughout the film, and there's just like. The it follows does this better, but you know, because it's the point. six years it's, later. Yeah, and it's what the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, it's so intense because, yeah. like, you just know, like, at all times, the characters are being stalked, and even when they sit down, like they're like, constantly aware. Yeah, of... you're just like, don't, 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 like, yeah, you gotta I mean, just like keep moving. Yeah, and it follows using uses that as a metaphor for aging, right? <laughs> that whenever you slow down, you are constantly aware of the t the clock. Ticking and you getting older and things getting that's to death getting closer. Jeez. Yeah, that's what the movie's about. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but this this movie uses that to a different effect. But the 
the visceral effect of you constantly being aware of, yeah, there's something out there to get you, is, is the same and, and effective. Uh, the other shot that I really like in this movie and that is also pretty well known is closer to the beginning after um, uh, the wife is murdered, you have Bruno approaching Guy for the first time to tell him and they're across the street from Guy's house mm -hmm. and you see Bruno behind these bars, right, <laughs> behind this gate and uh, cut through the middle of the screen and Guy on the other side not behind the bars suggesting guilt and prison, right, literal prison bars right there. And it was very stark um, and very clear. And then later on, it swapped, right? You have Guy moving closer to the bars and you see them in becoming uh, mm -hmm. closer together. Uh, really good good work by Hitchcock again um, in that sequence. One uh, shot I thought was really cute was at the beginning when Guy's complaining about his wife on the phone while the train's coming by. So he has yeah. to shout out like, I really want to strangle my wife. <laughs> yes. And then immediately cuts to uh, Bruno with his hands in like kind of a strangling Around shape. His, his mother. Yeah. Oh, no, that's right. He's approaching he just his, had his mother. Yeah, you're right. I remember now. I don't remember what he was doing, but yeah, you're he was right. in like a strangling motion. And then it zooms out and you realize it's this guy. Yeah, yeah. That was very good uh, foreshadowing. Um, yeah, lots, lots of good moments like that uh, throughout the movie. Uh, the other great, like, almost set piece moment is when Guy is playing his tennis match and Bruno is trying to get the the lighter out from the I, the I had to chuckle at that because, you know, <laughs> right. it's kind of like manufactured uh, tension. Right. Because, like, oh, you know, he has to finish his tennis match early enough so he can catch his train to go to the amusement park. And, mm -hmm. and like, this guy's dropped the, the one piece of evidence he's trying to plant down a right. thing. Yeah, but like, it works. That was hilarious. It works so well, right? Like, for me, anyway, it works so well. And you have, like, the, the commentator for the tennis match. It's like, oh, it looks like guy is going to clean up here and it should be a clean... You know, yeah, a clean 3-0. Yeah, you also, there's so much detail in it. Like, you see his, like, very carefully manicured hands. Yep. Like, in the sludge. In the grime. Yeah. He's, like, reaching down. And he's, like, almost got it, and then he doesn't have yeah. it. Yeah. And he, he, like, touches it, and it falls even further down. Right, yeah. right. And they do, like, it's the... classic. And this, they do the same thing in the tennis match, where, like, he has, like, a double fault at one point, and then, like, this guy wins an advantage back, and they're going back from the same point for a yeah. while. And, yeah, just all, all really good stuff. The tennis was surprisingly very well shot. Yeah. Like, Hitchcock, like, really shows his chops as, like, one of the greatest directors of all time. <laughs> in that, like, shooting a tennis match, like, he shoots it, like, very confidently. Right. Like, they, they look like they're actually serving and actually hitting the ball. Yeah, yeah. Like, totally. Moving around in realistic The ways. way the crowd is responding. Uh, responding, yeah. Mm, all that is just, like... Right. And it's, like, historically accurate tennis, too, right? Because they, they show him playing close to the net. Which is very much 1950s tennis, and nowadays where they're playing further away from the net. It felt yeah. so slow. Right, well, they're playing the, with wooden rackets. Because the rackets, yeah, they're yeah. worse back. Then. And they're all yeah. gut rackets too, gut strings, um, rather than the the synthetic strings that we have now. So they yeah. they're, they're not as fast. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of fun to, yeah. <laughs> to watch for too. Everything wasn't made out of plastic yet. Yeah. So <laughs> right. it was about to be like. Yeah, it was common, but and yeah. the like rule changes weren't in place yet. Like you had to play with that kind of racket, even yeah. if there was something else available. Tennis was tougher back then. It was different anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that sequence worked really well. Uh, this movie had an interesting um, production. There are some interesting production notes as well because if you may have noted, the writer credits on this movie where Raymond Chandler was listed first. Um, and he's, he had written a lot the of novelist, movies. Yeah, the, right. the novelist. He yeah. is the Philip Marlowe, created Philip Marlowe. So he wrote The Big Sleep, both the book and the movie, and many, many other screenplays. Um, apparently he basically didn't write this movie, though. Huh. Like, he, he, was, he partnered up with Hitchcock early on, um, and Hitch, he ended up writing two drafts that Hitchcock hated. He t Hitchcock tossed both of them and fired William Chandler, or Raymond Chandler, and hired the person who actually wrote the movie, who was a woman with a name that's difficult to pronounce, um, so I'm going to do my best. Let's see. Her name is Kazenzi Ormond. She wrote the movie. Not William, not uh, Raymond Chandler. Yeah. But the studio insisted on leaving Chandler in the credits because he's a big name. name. And they, they, they thought he would, it would bring in a bigger audience. It's based yeah. on a book. Too. It's based on a book by Patricia yeah. Highsmith. We could do a whole series on movies based on books by Patricia Highsmith. Because um, that would be this movie. It would be Talented Mr. Ripley, which I've both read and seen, and it is great, both of them. Um, she wrote uh, The Price of Salt, which eventually became Carol. 
that came out a few years ago was also a good movie. Um, so yeah, she has uh, she did pretty well in her time. Mostly a, just a pulp novelist, dime novelist. But um, yeah, she had several uh, works transmitted to film. Uh, this among them, and it worked. Although Hitchcock changed a bunch of stuff too. Like apparently he was not a tennis player and politician in the in the novel. He was like a mm -hmm. banker or something. Um, and Hitchcock moved that. To... The DC setting is nice, actually, though, yes. in that they use the like Excel corridor essentially as like part of the setting. Yeah. Yeah, works yeah, it, really it, well. Yeah, for that same that shot that we talked about earlier on the Jefferson Monument, um, like that would only be possible on location there. Yeah, and it makes sense to have like a very active train line like that. Yeah, in the... yeah, like they need to be going back and forth more. Yeah, um, yeah, so it it does work well. Yeah. So, um, any other thoughts on on Strangers on a Train? Sounds like you mostly liked it. Right, yeah, I quite enjoyed this one. Okay, I'm very glad I saw it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, glad you saw it in a theater. Right, like uh, it, it, always, always. Yeah, it always enhances the experience. Yeah, that was cool. I, I, I try to take advantage whenever I can see Hitchcock oh, in in a theater, and it hap it comes up relatively regularly. Yeah. Like he's frequently if this is his funniest film, which might work best. In you think theater. it's his funniest film? Possibly. No, North by Northwest is funnier. Like, there's a lot of comedy in this film. There is, but North and by like on purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, isn't yeah? It's intentionally amusing, but like, yeah, Cary Grant. It's in North by Northwest. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel like I haven't it. seen that in ages. So. Oh, it's. I remember it being quite funny, mostly because of Grant. But yeah, we we should do that movie. I mostly said, remember the soundtrack for that film and the pinnacle scene. But yes, well, that well that has a couple iconic scenes, right? Because there's the biplane sequence. Yeah, frequently, but the very end is and the, the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but North by Northwest ends on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Simpsons oiled it many years ago. But. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Always cool to see him in in a theater, um, yeah. and especially you can, especially in a movie like this that has so many visual motifs. Yeah, and I think it's easier to to pick those out and to to see literally see them. So many great shots on a on a big too. screen. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one sequence where he's sneaking into Bruno's house to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't. I thought talk that about was. That. I, I yeah. forgot about that. I thought that was really funny because he like yeah. walks in the house and he's got like the very simple map. <laughs> yes. It's like it's go just, here to kill my dad. Here. Yeah. <laughs> For context, he has like a hand drawn map that he's received from Bruno, and yeah, it's, it's like something out of a white coyote cartoon. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's like comically poorly drawn. Right. And, well, and he walks uh, in. It's like this giant fucking ordained house. Yeah. yeah. And there's like corridors everywhere. That had a lot of tension too. He goes up. To the top of the stairs, and there's Fucking a dog there's a great there. dame. Like, Not just a dog, but a great a dame. Big dog, dog. And yeah, then, and then the dog's like super friendly. <clears throat> yeah, it's hilarious. And then right. when he enters the father's room, yeah, it's there's, actually there's a lot of beats before it's revealed that it's Bruno. Yeah, and, yeah, that he had set him up. Yeah, but then even then he sets the gun down, and Bruno picks up the gun, and you don't know if Bruno's gonna. Kill him. Yeah, that was one of the highest yeah. tension moments in the, in yeah, the he's film. Fun I think pointing the gun at him, yeah, leads him out of oh the house. God, yeah. Guy like, is very stupid. Yes, yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and that scene like really underlined it. Right, like I guess uh, I could yeah, kind of understand like that he's trying to warn the dad and like flubbing that, but like he sets down the gun with this guy that's already established that he's willing to kill and doesn't like it very much, and that he's just shown him that he's betrayed him essentially. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I'm just gonna set my gun down here. Yep. and let you hit. Right. I feel like this is the era where you could call literally anybody and they would pick up the phone. <laughs> right. Like, <In> <laughs> this doesn't seem to require like going to the house. Yeah. But. Right. But, yeah, but then like because um, Bruno gets the gun, you have that great sequence where he, he is leading Guy out of the house and down the stairs and you get that shot of from Guy's perspective looking up the stairs at Bruno pointing the gun at him with the giant Great Dane next to him. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's so good. And he looks just like so imposing in that moment um, and you don't know if you still don't know if he's going to gun him down or not Bruno's motivations are kind of strange too right because yes. it's just like he just like doesn't like his father right. or his father's like mean to him right yeah. ostensibly ostensibly right yeah. and maybe he's mean to him because he's like a guy in his mid-30s who's living at home and not doing anything yeah it's like go get a fucking job Bruno <laughs> yeah um, so yeah like you're you are correct that um I think that adds to kind of the mystique of the character that what moves him is so, uh, I don't know, it's dumb, well, trivial. It's unfortunately part of the gay coding, though, that yeah. like you. That's true. You. 
dislike the hottie like me now, Dad. Yeah, there, there's like a psychopath element to it, where at any moment they could become violent. Right. Mm. Well, and if any um, moment they could become violent, but they also have a conflict with their father. Yeah. Right. That the, there wasn't a, they they are gay and they're because, overly protected by their mothers. Right. There's not a strong enough male presence or not a sympathetic enough male presence mm-hmm. in their life. And therefore, they're seeking it out in the arms of another man. Same thing with Norman not, Bates and Psycho. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Similarly coded, and I think this recall or this predicts Psycho in a lot of ways. Um, the relationship between Bruno and his mom. Yeah. Or Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Like yes. Similar. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Um, which is a shame. Even until recently, apparently. Yes. So. Even until well. recently. Um, I think that the actor I was reminded of watching. Uh, Robert Walker as, as Bruno was Kevin Spacey, right? I think there's a lot of Kevin Spacey in, see that. in that performance, right? Just that he has this kind of refined quality to him, this very articulate way of speaking. Well, even in a film that we've seen recently, L.A. Confidential, yeah. his character is like very similar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think th- I, I would be very surprised if Casey hadn't, uh, or Spacey hadn't watched uh, this movie and, and drawn some inspiration yeah. uh, that he brought to numerous roles. Mm-hmm. Javier Bardem does this too. Sure. In what was the Bond movie that he was in? The, um, uh, Skyfall. Yes, yeah. Skyfall. Yeah. That character seems like very similar here too. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and Bond movies, Bond villains yeah. especially call. Uh, we've mentioned earlier, call this trope of like the refined villain, right? Yeah. Like the guy that has, he's wealthier, he has power. They use their his, mind. His yes, yeah. as opposed to Bond who uses his gun and his martial wit or whatever to. Uh, sexual prowess to um, yeah. to win the day. Um, I think you you see that trope in Bond movies a lot, and it is there's a proto version of it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I like this movie a lot. I thought it was it was a good good watch. Glad, yeah, glad I got to rewatch it. It's been a minute since I'd seen it. So you still put it under Vertigo and Rear Window. Vertigo's an incredible movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like both those films. I really like Dial M for Murder, too. Yes. Yes. Um, the second one that Hitchcock made, not the first one that Hitchcock made. <laughs> he made his own movie? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, th- this is a it's a great film. It really is, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, pick a Hitchcock movie, right? Like, they're all great. When If you want to say, do I like this one or Vertigo, it's like both, right? Like, I just, they're just both really good movies. I have seen bad Hitchcock movies, but... Well, because he made yeah. so many, but... Yeah. Like, the one... And, and this one was actually one that kind of redeemed him. He, he it's had, mostly his early films, because they're really boring. And yeah. He, he learns how to, like, kind of trim the fat. And, right, and he had, like, a series of yeah. flops before this movie. Because this was a hit, like, this made money. Um, and because it's more accessible and it has the, all these names attached to it and all these things. But I like this movie a lot as well. I think it's a, a, probably more accessible Hitchcock movie. They're all accessible because they're all pop movies. But um, No, you're, you're right about that. It's, but I think that this one um, yeah. kind of lets you in and has less of like the more complex imagery and themes that you would see in uh, a Vertigo um, or a Man Who Knew Too Much or something like that. Yeah. Um, this one sets up the conflict really crisply, really clearly throughout and just keeps coming back home to it over and over again. Just good storytelling, uh, good good screenwriting, um, and yeah, it's an easy recommend, I think, for, for sure, for Strangers on a Train. Agreed, Charles? Yep, absolutely. Good, we're on the same page. Cool, all right, so we'll be back in a moment with Things We've Seen. Welcome back for Things We've Seen, where we review more recent movies that we have seen in the theater or outside of the theater that are new to us. Um, so, Crossman, you want to start us off? What did you, you see this week? Well, coincidentally with you, I yeah. saw the <laughs> the rocket vehicle rampage. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah um, we did see that. So, I, uh, I've i been pretty clear on this show that like I like monster movies. Uh, I think kaiju movies are cool. You're not I, wrong. They are since cool. I was a kid, I liked <laughs> yeah. these kind of movies. Yeah. Uh, this movie was bad. It was real bad. It's bad <laughs> I did not for a like lot it. of reasons. Yeah, and um, like... Uh, almost actually irredeemably bad yeah it's I think it's a major crime is that it's boring yes it's really boring there's a lot of downtime in this film and just filled with like exposition that's incredibly unnecessary yeah just Um, like a bunch of shit that you don't need to know about to see three giant monsters like that they can take a movie about a giant gorilla and a giant wolf and a giant alligator and make that like not cool it's fucking extraordinary. It's like the fucking Godzilla remake from a few years ago. It was ago a lot. Brian Cranston in it. It, it. it was more like the um, Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie from a few years yeah, ago. I remember that one being fun when I was in second grade. I also Ooh. saw that when it came out. Rewatch it. It is 
it's unwatchable. No, I know it's it's, it's unwatchable. I know, but yeah. I remember when I was in second grade, that seemed fun because there were some like monster smashy scenes. Yeah, the Godzilla movie from a few years ago, I don't think was great, but I did like some elements of it. Um, okay. I do, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> okay. This movie is very boring. Yep. Uh, there's over an hour of like non-monster fighting. <laughs> Right, in the monster fighting movie. It's just like a, a Jeffrey Dean Williams explaining things at you in a southern accent. Um, and it's rated well for a video game movie. It's like 52% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah, or something. Yeah, 51 or 52, last yeah. I check. Which makes it actually the highest rated video game movie or one of the highest rated. Again, a little bar to clear. How did Tomb Raider do? That's a great question. Uh, I, I don't uh, know. Oh, that might have done better. You're right. Um, it was doing much better at one point. Right. Either way, people were praising this movie, and I'm confused by that. Yeah, yeah, multiple critics that I generally trust gave this broadly positive reviews. Oh, it's a fun movie. You know, it's a solid afternoon. The rock's good in it. Right, yeah. whatever. None of that's true. This, it, it is it, not... It, it's a hard movie to talk about because it's so insubstantial. Right, like, it doesn't have anything to say, and it doesn't do anything interesting, and, like... I don't understand why you it's... A, anything about, like, messing with nature or, like, corporate greed or anything like that? It, it kind like, of, but not really. No, yeah, it, like... <clears throat> the setup of the movie is that, where the... I don't know why they bothered to do this, but the beginning... The film starts with explaining what CRISPR is. Yes. CRISPR is, like, a new biotechnology, which is... A, it's a real thing. It's spelled... It's spelled CRISPR, but without the E. Yeah. Um, and what it, it does... It's for genetic editing and it's potentially like a very valuable like medical discovery that's been just a cool thing recent. to learn about and to like explore the ethics of and all that yeah like, they're not interested in but that they're at not all. gonna no. do that in a movie like rampage but the movie starts with like a few minutes of text that explain what CRISPR is yeah. and how it works and it's like why are you doing this for this movie? <laughs> yeah. Like it could it could be an alien thing Anything that falls to the sky. It could there could simply like, be no explanation. You it would be better if there was no explanation actually. <laughs> yes. And there's many like great horror science fiction films that set it up that way. Yes, like the birds. You know, we just yeah, the, it, it just happens. Yep, right? it just yeah. happens. Uh, um, <clears throat> so yeah, that. Or, or start like the thing, right? Where it's just like this thing just like really? falls through the and atmosphere, that's right? And that's that's it. the only. It's like wow, that's like weird and compelling. And, well, I mean, like, I think yeah. they're trying to lend some like real world relevancy to. But, the but then they don't. They don't do anything with it. Yeah, they don't do it. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's such a problem with so many of these movies. They don't do anything with it. So yeah, it's exactly. like why go through the scientific explanation of this if it doesn't if, affect impact your messaging or your thing it kind of sets up the main antagonists which are the this brother <clears throat> sister team which are reminiscent of like the trump children or team rocket <laughs> or or team rocket <laughs> the, the the closest and most obvious reference though was it's, to it seemed like they're yeah. trying to do like the, these are the trump children yes, if they were like Funny. The leaders of like a biotech, <laughs> an evil biotech company, yeah. um, and the one redeeming part of the film is what's this? The brother, Jake in, Lacey. Yeah, Jake Lacey is very funny yeah. in this film. He just plays a total doofus. He's always holding food. <laughs> like uh, the, the best part of the movie, yeah. right? I mean this literally. Yeah. It's like there's this <laughs> there's this short shot where it's him holding a mug of coffee in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other hand when like the police or the FBI or whatever burst into his office and he's just looking really confused holding both coffee in like an awkward way yeah and it's hilarious and like that's the high point of the film <laughs> it's, it's that moment yeah um, which I think says a lot about what this movie doesn't do right and the the movie also oscillates between being very militaristic and like an army marines commercial yes and like an Air Force commercial. But then the main characters also like punch troops in the face, and <laughs> I was like, "Wait, is this a super military like movie, or is like what are they trying to say here?" I, it was like all over they the just map. Aren't trying to say anything, and they just want to throw guns at the screen. But it's like it's a commercial for the military. Yeah, like, yeah. for sure, because they're. Okay. There's like a big sequence like of like a large. And starts talking about the Marines. Or something. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. There's like a C-130 sequence and. It's meant to be like, look how cool like our planes are. Right. Well, and, and, and like yeah. the, the movie yeah. ends with like all these troops like popping out of a jeep or something and like helping the people that were hurt when all the monsters. Yeah, after the city's been destroyed. And it's like these like 
very sympathetic shots of soldiers doing nice things. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. Uh, the, the other thing that was like very surprising about this movie is that there there's a scene that looks exactly like the towers falling on 9-11. Yes. Uh, and that was super confusing too. Cause it was like, here's this like light popcorn monster movie. And then here's like, a very good illustration of like how 9-11 went down. I was like, what is happening? With a real building, it's it's at the Sears Tower in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the building collapses in a way that looks just like 9-11. And then there's all this dust in the air. And it's very reminiscent of like, you know, the hours and hours and hours of news footage of all the people like wandering through the dust after 9-11. Yeah, it looked just like that. It, yeah. it, it called the mind Batman, the beginning of Batman versus Superman. Which was also a 9-11 Which allegory. did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Intentionally. But yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, makes it even more confusing because like, did they do that 9-11 thing on purpose? In which case, why? Is it just so in the zeitgeist that we do this by accident? Right. Or did yeah. they do it accidentally and nobody yeah. noticed or gave a shit that it looks just like 9-11, which is almost more troubling. It seems so. to be more that the monsters are destroying a building and now we have reference footage for what destroying a building looks like. Right, but like it's super depressing. Yeah, it, but it's always going to be coded as 9-11, right? Like, yeah. Especially if you have it like at ground level, like looking up at this building yeah. collapsing while the dust approaches the camera. It's like, or the building like doesn't have to collapse. Like you right. don't need to like include that in your story. No like, reason. If you do like have a purpose for it, like say something about it. If it is a 9-11 commentary, then have a it's, comment. It's not a, it's not a critique for sure. It does seem to be that, like, it's like, oh, it's like, if anything, the movie seems to be saying that, like, it's okay that our military is present within our large cities now because of events like this. Right. And that in, seems to be what the, the film is saying. In case the monsters attack, we need the soldiers right there to yeah. rebuff them. Yeah, where it's like, oh, it's okay that, you know, the army, like, sits on top of Chicago. Or There's a monster that attacks the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, which is very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, Rampage sucked. Don't watch it. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> it I, I don't know why they did this. <laughs> no, there don't. was a really funny... Someone had a shot of The Rock in this movie and a shot of The Rock in Jumanji. Okay. In both films, he's a helicopter pilot. <laughs> he's and, got that same, like, kind of safari shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it was like... Basically, he must have been running from one set to the other, <laughs> shooting these films. I mean, they came out within a couple weeks of each other, so yeah. And he's in everything now. He is yeah. the like action guy. I, I joked that so. there had to have been some yeah. movie this season that showed the trailers for Jumanji, Rampage, and Skyline all in a row, <laughs> yeah, and right. just the audiences get super confused <laughs> about which movie's which. But they're all in the same continuity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're going to shoot an action movie, you like by contract, apparently have to have the rock, have the rock in it now. I get that. He's very compelling. Not here. Not here. Yeah. Not no, here. Not, even, not, even, yeah. not even The Rock. He doesn't have enough to do. Well, he's great in Jumanji because it's like kind of a critique of a character that he would play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like this, this like testosterone. It's a nerd who's like embodied in The Rock's body. Yeah. Which is fun. the juxtaposition. Right. That's, and funny. that's like one of the major jokes in the film. Here is just like he's just a big dude. He's just there. Yeah. He's collecting his paycheck. Yep. He's a he's a SEAL team past. That's like <laughs> such a terrible like trope in these films now. <laughs> Which is why you can do everything. Um, he's also a primatologist. Primatologist. Not and a zoologist. He's uh, specifically primates, which is why he can do sign language with the giant monkey. And he friend. killed uh, poachers. They, yes. they 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 explain part of his backstory that he yeah. was a part of a team that would Kill poachers. Yep. Who they specifically showed as African men. <laughs> That's oh. true. They, I was like, not like whoa, that. when they showed that, I was like, not. white dudes on safari. Which is who it actually is. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, uh, lots of reasons to not watch this movie, um, especially when there's so many other better movies uh, in theaters right now. Um, so, Charles, do you see any of the better movies <laughs> that are in theaters right now? No, but I did see. No. Ready, I did see Ready Player One. Uh, I did too. Um, I still. Weirdly enough, I still enjoyed it, but I think it's because I went in with the lowest expectations and was surprised that it wasn't, you know, matching my lowest expectations <laughs> possible, I guess. I've, I've heard very mixed things about this movie. People, I it was very bad. I've heard a lot of Charles' reaction where people thought it was going to be horrible and came out being like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Or no, it was I actually good. Even, I didn't even get to say. my fine. No, no I, I think it was bad. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it had some interesting, uh, like, action sequences. Um, plenty of really, really, really cringy 
plot and dialogue moments, like just so many. infinity of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, you're kind of there for the CGI action, and there's some fun. Were there scenes there. that are like, "Hey, that is Donkey Kong yes. from the Donkey Kong game," many. a little bit made by Atari yes. TM. They were more in the background, I would say, but there were definitely cringy moments like that. Um, the one that really bothered me, and I'm a big fan of Gundam, and the one that really bothered me was they have this token Asian character on their team who speaks with a Japanese accent and plays a ninja or samurai on their team. And in the, I'm going to spoil the movie because who cares? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in the climactic battle, he's like kind of meditating because that's what Asian people do. And they're all like, you know, like, oh, where, what are you doing, Daito? We need you. We need your help for the battle or whatever. And I'm just like, I know because I've seen the Gundam in the trailers and the Gundam hasn't <laughs> appeared yet. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to say some fucking Japanese shit and become a Gundam. And I'm like, this is worse than I'd feared. Yep. Because, like, I'm a huge fan of Gundam, but I don't want them doing this cheesy, stereotypical crap. That's exactly what they right? did. And then that's exactly what they did. He goes, I choose form of Gundam in Japanese <laughs> and then, like, jumps out of a Serenity ship and turns into a Gundam and, like, fights Mecha Godzilla, which in theory I would think would be awesome, but they didn't have to do it in such a cheesy and, like, cringy, stereotypical way to make it as bad as possible. Like, that really hurt. Yeah. Um, even though it's, like, one of the few times I get to see Gundam on the big screen. One thing that Rampage did do was purposely cast against type in almost every role. Yeah, like, the Jake Lacey character was... Not who he normally is. Like he's normally a nice guy, boyfriend kind of. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a dick. And then the there's like a bi there's a biologist of some sort, and it's um, a black woman who's yeah. an ex-con as right. well. Right. And it seemed like they went out of their way to like kind of cast against that, which is like a good right practice. Ready Player One did not do that at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that every, really was like that every really stereotype. Me. Like I always yeah. talk about wanting more like Asian male representation yeah. on screen, but not like this. Not garbage like, representation. I don't want yeah. like. The fucking ninja guy who meditates and like talks in a Japanese accent. I don't want that little Asian kid from Indiana Jones who is basically the other Asian character in the movie. Yeah, uh, that that was bad. Like, oh man. Yeah, I agree. I, that bothered I, the shit out of me. I think the book has been accused of transphobia. Did that like come up in the film? Did they dodge that? I mean, that, they had the thing where the character who he thinks is male is actually female, but. He doesn't. He's not like grossed out by it or anything. He's just okay. like, he's oh, just okay. surprised. Apparently, yeah. in the book, it's like very crazy. Yeah, and I haven't read the book. I've read passages, but yeah, I have, I'm not going to read that shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I had numerous problems with this movie. Uh, the biggest one, I think, is that it doesn't make any fucking sense at all. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Really, it made plenty of sense because they had a very simple and linear plot, kind of like a video no, not game. narratively. Like, I, I, well, kind of narratively, but like within the world, within the logic of the film shit didn't make any sense there was some hilarious stuff like i fucking cracked up when the police showed up at the end because i'm like this seems like a lawless post-apocalyptic world with this that company was, yes where this company is basically like some sort of fascist dictatorship and then the police come and like apprehend the ceo and i'm like what <laughs> yeah after he like literally just chases down the good guys on foot um so yeah there was so that i had a problem with i was wondering in the entire movie like where the government was and like how they are involved in any of this because like you have this giant bad guy company that's literally enslaving people to pay off their debt, like running right. a private debtor's prison. No idea like how that functions within the, the universe. I mean, you, you could see that as a critique of like capitalism run rampant. No, I don't have a problem with the messaging of it. I don't understand. I have a problem with like the internal logic of it. Like I'm sitting mm -hmm. there and I'm not understanding how any of this shit works. Yeah. Same thing with like, you, so you like you collect coins in the game, and. You use the coins to buy real-world stuff, but also in-game stuff. But then there's this guy that can, like, make this this motorcycle or fix a motorcycle in 10 minutes. So it's, like, not clear why anything in-game has value if, like, anybody can just learn to code it and, like, put it together. Well, this and character it, probably has a high level of repair skill or something. Right, like and, and, but none of that is explained, right? So it's, like, why is this thing that many coins? Why are these coins valuable? Why is it hard to produce that thing? Why does it matter if someone zeroes out on their coins when they die? Right, like, how is how is this translated into real money? Like, like there's, they introduce so many concepts and so many rules that, like, aren't explained well at all and raise so many questions that aren't answered and need to be answered in order for the narrative to function. Yeah. <laughs> like, that I, I was just driven to distraction the entire movie 
because it doesn't does not make sense. It does not make sense. But you're always making fun of those people who are pointing out plot holes. In your right, and that's just that. Like, there's a there are plot holes that are that matter. Yeah. Right, like, and then there are plot holes that don't matter. And like the ones that don't matter are the ones that don't distract you from the movie, right? Yeah. But well, apparently, I mean, the people who complain about those things, like these plot holes matter to them. So I think people just have different levels of like tolerance for I, this. They do have different levels of tolerance, but I think that there are good readings and not as good readings, right? So when this movie is, t- is making, you know, the commodification of what's going on in this world central to the narrative and central to what's driving the characters and when like major plot points are about the damsel being trapped in this debtor's prison and we don't understand how that works in a way that's like very critical to you know following the film mm-hmm. that that is beyond you know one of these lame plot holes that people point out about you know Haldo or whatever in, <laughs> in Last Jedi like it's it's central to what the film is saying and like what the film is supposed to be about uh, and that's the other problem I had with this movie. It's not clear at all what the fuck the purpose is, right? Because like they're supposed to be finding these Easter eggs that the well, the purpose is that nerds are cool now and deal with it. Right? Maybe, but like <laughs> the, the message at the end is that the guy that like built this whole oasis virtual world that everybody is living in now is going to grant his fortune. He's dead, and he's going to grant his fortune to whoever can find his Easter eggs. But then you get to the end and the hero meets like his digital ghost or whatever and he's like talking about how, oh, maybe I shouldn't have devoted my life to, you know, pursuing all this trivial stuff and like I should have been in the world more. But then why did he make this whole contest about learning all the trivial bullshit that he wasted his life yeah. on? It's like, what the fuck is this movie about? Like, what, are the, what is Spielberg trying to communicate to us here? Yeah, one thing, I, well, I mean... Another thing I was disappointed by was there's so much potential to like comment on very important like technological issues or other things like that don't. in this movie, and they don't do anything about that. Like there's, there like they have a whole virtual world, and they don't really talk about like what could be. Well, they they kind of go over it a little bit, but not enough about what the ramifications of that are, what the possibilities are, um, like what happens when you kind of live in a virtual world. Um, you know, disconnecting from physical contact with each other, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I had some other points in my head that I've lost that they could have commented on. There are so many. (laughs) I mean, you could be talking about, like, how we interact with pop culture, right? Because that's, like, literally what the movie's about. Nothing. Like, yeah. (laughs) This is all stuff that Black Mirror does. How could the movie comment on that, though? Because they need to make it a critique of what's going on. But it obviously doesn't want to be that. Right. right. And it, it, but it could have been, and it's not. And, like, the only way for this movie to, like, I don't know, function or to not be, like, this giant negative thing, I think, is to critique that fundamental idea. But it, it's so muddled and confused that it doesn't do that at all. And ends up, like, kind of enforcing it, but really not saying anything. Yeah. So, but I don't know how you fix this movie. I think it probably shouldn't have been made. But... <laughs> I do want to comment on one scene in the movie that I was really blown away by. And it's a bit of a spoiler because it didn't show up in any of the trailers or any of the coverage. (laughs) So I did not know anything about this scene going into it. So I was totally surprised by it, which was great. Um, But there was a whole, like, shining sequence. I guess I'm spoiling it for the audience, for the listeners. That was... Yeah, um, but I, I thought that. the Shining sequence was super awesome, and I'm very glad that I watched The Shining for this podcast <laughs> um, so that I could get this. But they basically recreated scenes from The Shining like digitally and had the characters like interact with it, which I thought was super awesome. It was a great love letter to the movie. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. Like it, it, It's just a scene, and it's kind of on its own, um, but it was a real ride to watch. And I love that they recreated... like the movie so faithfully that it seemed almost like they were actually on set. See, see, for me, like, that scene was a huge misstep because I was watching it and I'm thinking, oh, man, I could be watching The Shining right now instead of this garbage movie. And, like, that was my reaction to it. Um, Because they did change it from the book. In the book, apparently, the big movie reference is War Games. Right. I read that in the book they basically... Like, act out war games and I'm like <laughs> yeah. why so it was a good choice to make the change have you seen war games I have not seen war games but I've heard of it I don't want to watch war games <laughs> Ma- Matthew Broderick right yeah that, that is or is it Cusack I think it's Broderick it's Broderick yeah yeah 
Um, so yeah, I really didn't like Ready Player One. Sounds like a big thumbs down from yeah Wilson. Easily you into it. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it enough, um, and I still really, really, really liked the Shining sequence. I think okay. there's so few. Spielberg hasn't done a lot of pop films recently, and I might go see it just because it's that. Uh, the the opening or like the beginning part racing sequence. There's like a carrot card chase sequence works really well. That's the best part of the movie. So like go and watch that, and then like save yourself the other hour and, <laughs> and leave. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I can't recommend this movie. I think it was a big old thumbs down. All right. Well, what what can you recommend? I can recommend a quiet place. Okay. I saw that. No, I mean, what do we want to watch next week? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about a quiet place next week. But. Okay. No. Um, but in terms of what I saw this week, I'll be brief because we're already running a little late here. But um, it's the movie John, John Krasinski of The Office fame, um, directed it and starred in it. The premise is that they're, his, him and his family are in this post-apocalyptic world, um, a semi-post-apocalyptic world. There are monsters out there that are, that are attracted to any kind of sound. So they have to communicate silently through uh, sign language and written signals and nonverbal non communication. And they cast an actual deaf person. They cast the an actual deaf person as uh, his daughter, um, who, well, stay spoiler free here, but does an excellent job and is very critical of the movie. Um, so it's good to see that kind of, uh, that, that kind of diversity in, in casting. Um, it is just a really well-made, crisply told movie. It stays very focused on its premise, very focused on its characters. Um, it, it has, it, we complained about Rampage, like over-explaining shit. This movie explains exactly enough for you to understand what's going on. It's very efficient with its storytelling, but doesn't ever feel rushed. High tension, exciting film, effective as a horror film without like being, driving away mainstream audiences. Um, it's made a ton of money for that reason, I think. Um, and it's good to see sound design take such a central role, um, especially in a horror film where I think it's it's most important. Um, so it stars uh, John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, and then some newcomer children, who I don't remember other names. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it was very good um, and, and easy to recommend. I would watch it again, actually. And uh, yeah, no, a, a, great entry in the new horror canon that we've been developing for the past few years. I'm uh, always reluctant to see horror films, but I'm tempted to just suck it up and go see this one. Yeah, you really should. Um, I don't, I, it has not that many jump scares. It's mostly a, like a tension-based fear. Um, a lot of great set pieces and a, and a really gorgeously shot film. Most of it takes place in pretty rural areas and you can see John Krasinski shooting these spaces with a lot of affection. Um, very he, he takes advantage of a lot of natural light, I think, or what looks like natural light, um, anyway. And he he sets up these horror uh, tension points really well um, in a way that pays off later on in the film. So you can tell it's thoughtfully constructed in a well-written movie. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, I really liked Quiet Place, and I think that even if you're not necessarily super into horror, that this one could still work for you as like a family drama um, and, and, and be good. So Quiet Place is a thumbs up. It's high on my list of things to say. Yeah, you'd love it. Absolutely. You yeah. should go see it, um, I, I think. Uh, but my pick coming yeah, up. What's your pick? Okay, so by the time next week's episode is posted, I think Avengers will be just released or just about to be released. That's so I think we should go back to one of the original superhero movies and do Superman, the, the first 1970s oh. one with Christopher Reeves. Um, it is Dan Gene Hackman as as Lex Luthor. Uh, it's I haven't seen it in a little bit while a little while, so I want to get back to it and kind of see it within the context of all the superhero stuff that we have had going on recently. Um, compared so to Man of Steel, and compared yeah, compared to like the the massive missteps that we've <laughs> seen with this character, to see a more classic representation of him um, back in back in his heyday in the in film anyway in the seventies. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you like the show, please share it. Please tell your friends about it. Um, and join us next week for Superman. <laughs>